Hey everyone, this is the Health Network Podcast. It's a space to connect all different health professionals to provide the best possible care for our patients. It's also a podcast to empower listeners to prevent health problems. And I'm your host, Dr. Marcus. So in society today, there's increasing chronic stress, anxiety, depression. There's a lot of stress with work, relationships, family, and now COVID. There's also a lot of lifestyle diseases, which are very preventable, like diabetes, smoking, causing lung cancer, and there's a lot of lifestyle problems today. And so how can we empower these people to live happier, healthier lives? So I searched far and wide to find the top, most effective health professionals in hypnotherapy, psychology, NLP, all different areas. And I found Kerry in Bendigo and she has over 30 years of experience, incredible reviews, and has been super generous with her time. She is super passionate about empowering people to be the best person they want to be. I can't wait to hear what she has to say. So here we go, Kerry Ama, welcome onto the podcast. Thanks, Marcus. And so to start off, I'd like to ask you, how did you become a hypnotherapist and NLP specialist? Um, yeah, I've always been interested in the mind and how it works, Marcus. From a very young age, in my teenage years, I actually started working with dogs, training with dogs. Cool. And I always saw myself as working with dolphins long term. That never happened. So then I progressed to like in my mid-20s to start working with athletes and working with their minds. I did a um, science degree in biology and biochemistry and a grad dip. Then I went on to study hypnosis and basically got my hands on everything I could find out about how the mind works. These days it's called neuroscience. Back then, 40 years ago, it was just, yeah, it was really kind of like the dark arts. And then I discovered, yeah, I was really good at it, quite frankly. And plus, I liked working with athletes, which was my first passion because I played a lot of sport myself. And I wondered what separated the really good ones from just kind of, you know, the also rains that might be a second or so behind, given their same physical things. Mm. Along with that, I was also interested in psychopaths. That was the other um, extreme. So why do people do what they do? What turns people into psychopaths? Things like the SAS soldiers, what separates them from the others? And it always came, came down to the mind. So it was just inquiry, research, train yourself, do the courses, whatever. Constantly learning, soaking up knowledge like a sponge, really. Mm, cool. And then later in your career, then you came across NLP? Yeah. So then somewhere probably out in my mid-30s discovered NLP, you know, linguistic programming and just the power of words and how incredibly dynamic, influential they are in our lives. And many people aren't even aware of the words that they use. So they can set themselves up for um, bad habits or a negative way of thinking simply by the words that they use. So there's about seven disempowering words um, and two very empowering words. So a lot of people develop the bad habit of using these negative disempowering words. They're like can't, should, need, must, have to, and try. Mm. Those are all very disempowering words, whereas I absolutely encourage my clients to use words like I want, I choose, or I desire. I desire always sounds a bit funny. So, you know, we kind of go with I want and I choose. That's regaining power. It's taking that power back where those negative words gives the power to an external force. Like I should, society says I should, blah, 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 lose weight, give up smoking, whatever. Never going to work. 
So they dig themselves into a rabbit hole. And the way to get out of that is by changing the words that they use into positive words like I want and I choose. Most people aren't even aware of it. I sit here with clients and I'll say, to stop there, you just use a negative word. And they'll actually go, no, I didn't. <laughs> and with some, I've actually recorded our conversations. They're oh my goodness, I didn't even realise. Mm. People don't realise that they're actually using those words. They're so habitual. Wow. So for the listeners, we can have a copy of all those words and then you can test with your friends to see who's using the empowering words and disempowering. That's I actually a- set up, for a bit of fun, I actually set up with some of my clients like a swear jar. So yeah. in their homes with their families, they've got the swear jar. And every time anyone uses one of those negative words, they've got to like put a dollar or $5 into the swear jar. And it just makes people very aware and other uh-huh. family members will pick them up on that. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how something like so simple as the words that we use can make such a big difference. Huge, huge. Because mm-hmm. the words we use reflect our thoughts, which reflect our feelings, which reflect the decisions that we make, which reflect the life that we have. Wow. And also, I have spoken to you about the conscious and the unconscious mind. Could you talk a bit about that? Sure. So... Just as a caveat to this, this is absolutely for illustration purposes. There's nothing scientific about this whatsoever. So it's just a very simple picture. So basically our minds are composed of two parts. There's the conscious part and the unconscious part. Mm-hmm. So the conscious part is the part that we're actually aware of. Scientists these days consider it to be maximum maybe 5%, but those numbers are actually decreasing decade upon decade. The unconscious mind, the part by definition we are not aware of is the majority. So that's the 95%. So the conscious part of our mind is where our force, willpower, I should do this part lives, and that's where most of society lives in. The unconscious mind is, call it your intuition, God, gut, sixth sense, whatever, okay? That's where all of your habits, memories, the things that you're simply just not aware of, they all live down there. Mm. So... In order to function fully and properly, we want this like a door between the two and we want that door between the conscious and the unconscious mind to be open and for their free flow of exchange of ideas between your conscious and unconscious mind. It's like that quiet still inner voice, that little niggling feeling that you get. You want to listen to that. It's always right. Your unconscious mind has all the answers to everything if we choose to listen to it and act upon it. But we get into strife when we close that door and we just live in that top 5%. That's all those negative words, the shoulds and the tries. And we start looking for answers to our issues and our problems externally rather than internally. Yeah. I have noticed today there's a lot of avoidance of people's like emotions and the unconscious mind. A lot of people on social media and like YouTube and it's very easy to watch a funny video and just avoid these issues. That's, that's right. That's right. And that, that's absolutely closing the door. It's closing the door to your unconscious mind. And it's people use distraction, you know, social media, anything. I call it, you know, like just burying your head in the sand, really. Mm. Distraction or avoidance. But that, but that doesn't solve anything. And smoking is a classic example. You yeah. know, people have a problem there in front of them or whatever. And, you know, like well, the boss is annoying me. You know, I'll go outside and have a smoke. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Sure, they get the high from the sugar in the cigarette. But it's really, it's just an avoidance thing. When they come back, the boss is still bullying boss or whatever he may be. Nothing has actually been resolved. So that's behind a lot of be it smoking, inappropriate eating. They call it emotional eating. That's just a distraction eating, trying to make yourself feel better momentarily. Any kind of drug abuse, any kind of addictive behaviour, even excessive exercise can be in there. Gambling. 
so excessive social media use is a oh, classic yeah. one these days yeah. too. That's everybody's on this because we're avoiding the real world out here. Let's get mm. lost in gaming or something artificial. Mm. But it makes it worse because what that does is then not only close the door to your unconscious mind, but then you're putting all this clutter on the top, top of it. Okay, and then you know your unconscious mind is pushing back, trying to open that door. But no, let's just have more gaming. Let's just have more social media time. You know, so I liken it to where a society now where we're all like hoarders in a house, mm. and there's just clutter and stuff everywhere. So there's no room for the flat screen TV to come in. You've got to clear out the clutter first before you can put the new stuff in. And native cultures of any sort that. This is how they survive. They have a really nice dialogue between the conscious and unconscious minds. That door is open. They know when to be conscious and to be thinking. They know when to just listen to their gut instinct. And they just do it intuitively. A really, that's, that's, how they, that's how they live. That's how they've survived. A classic example, a really, really good one, is that in any native society, when a mother has a baby, the baby will actually breathe through its nose. But if the baby opens its mouth in native cultures, the mother will just come along and gently just push the mouth up and close the mouth to encourage the baby to breathe in and out through the nose. Mm. No one's told them that. They just know how to do it because it comes from within. But in our society, a huge number of people mouth breathers. Mm. And look at the, the prevalence of the CPAC machines, you know, and yeah. there's COVID in there as well. You look at those, many of those people, they're mouth breathers, which isn't good because then you're just breathing from up here. Yes. Whereas to be truly, you know, to the way we're supposed to breathe is in and out through the nose, right down into the into the diaphragm. Just yeah, you know, little things like that. That's how we've become disconnected. And I spend a lot of time with clients teaching them how to breathe in and out through their nose. <laughs> just mm. you know, just that. Yes. And what would you say? There might be some listeners who might be a bit skeptical that ninety five percent is the unconscious mind and five percent is the conscious mind in what we do. And so, um, is there any way that we could explain to them how mm. it can be such a large portion like for example maybe with a, a smoker and then consciously they want to quit smoking and then in terms of i think you oh, meant, okay yeah honestly it's, it's beyond dispute now neuroscience yeah. like it's just a question of the proportions it's yeah. going from yeah it used to be like and it used to be like that they used to think that uh, our brains and the habits were just like set mm. you know the hard wiring but now with neuroplasticity all the brain pathways and the neural connections are very flexible and, and they're very plastic, so they can be changed. So they can be shut down and then new ones created, which is out with the old habits, in with the new habits. Smoking is a classic example. So most people start to smoke when they're in their teenage years. They consciously do it. So you're working with that top five percent. Oh, yes, it's a dare. Or I want to fit in or impress someone or whatever. So that's a conscious thing. Yes, I, I will do that. You're actually thinking about it. Get the smoke, whatever. Smoke is incredibly addictive, as we all know, um, because every cigarette contains half a teaspoon of sugar, which is probably mm. the most addictive substance in the world, which is what people are addicted to. Yes, controversial, but that's true. So they do it a few times. And then, like, when we learn any habit, that that learning then goes to the conscious mind, that top 5%, because that mind back is incredibly small. It's not very big at all. So then it wants to get rid of, like, oh, we've learned that because we want to make room for new habits. It goes down through that door deep into your unconscious mind, and that's where it gets cemented as a new habit, unconsciously. So then you start doing it without even thinking about it. It's habitual. It becomes automatic. And habits are what make our lives possible. Like, the figures vary a bit, but it's generally between around 60 65% of the things that we do are automatic habits. They're the things that make our lives possible. 
but your mind doesn't discriminate between good habits and bad habits. It's just a habit. If you do it X times, right, we've got it now, you know, it goes deep down into your unconscious mind and you do it then without thinking because the mind, the conscious mind likes to, yep, we're learning something, let's learn it, but then let's free up that space for the next stuff to learn. So it's got to be this constant stuff coming in. We want to put it down into your unconscious mind for future efforts. So an analogy for that is like um, doing the dishes. So the dishes pile up on the sink, then you want to, that's your conscious mind, you want to wash them, dry them, sort them out, mm. and then you put them away into the pantry for next time. That's like your long-term memory. So then next time you want a meal, you go to the, to the cupboard and, oh, there's the plates, plates stacked with the plates. There's the knives and forks stacked with the knives and forks so you can get them out to prepare the next, mem- the next meal, I think. Okay. But most people's minds end up very messy, so you've just got dishes stacked up all over the kitchen and there's not a clean plate in sight and they're wanting to prepare a meal. Is It isn't going to happen. And that, by definition, is really what anxiety and stress is. When there's too many thoughts cluttering up this um, conscious mind, which is like, you know, this size, your mind, your mind, yeah. your mind bucket. And we all have the same size mind bucket. It's a question of how quickly we think, how quickly we fill it up and how quickly we empty it out. Mm. Yeah, like the analogies, so it's good. Yep. So back to the smoking thing. So that habit lives deep in your unconscious mind. So the reason why all the gimmicks don't work, controversy, yes. Any anything external, the gimmicks. The problem is an external. We're in a society of, of a disease mode, which we've had in the medical profession for you know the last couple of hundred years. Everything is about is a disease. Smoking isn't a disease. It's a habit that lives deep within the unconscious mind. Therefore, the answer lies deep within the unconscious mind. So all the force of willpower, which at best, and some people have got huge amounts of it, is only going to be 5%. Mm. What's going to win? 5% of willpower or 95% of habit? 95% of habit is going to win. Yeah. And a lot of people come to me and say, oh, you know, but I, but I stopped for, you know, a week or a month or whatever. I said, but were you thinking about it during that time? They go, yes. And they'll eventually go back to smoking, whatever, whether you use Tampix, Iban or whatever, because they're still a smoker trying not to smoke they're using that force and willpower just to suppress but the habit's still living quite happily down here mm. and they're okay. just using other avoidance things over here but it's oh, i can't wait to get back to the smoke can't wait to get yeah. back to the smoke and eventually this is this is just going to resurface so the solution then is to clear away the clutter from your conscious mind taking out the rubbish open the door to your unconscious mind tap into that delete out the old habit mm. replace it with new habit but new mindset new way of thinking that's going to give that person the pleasure or the enjoyment or the reward or the benefit they felt they got from smoking. Every smoker says that they enjoy it. They know it's killing them. They say, I really love it, really love it. Mm. Consciously, they know it's killing them. So it's not about being rational. We are not rational people. Yeah. Consciously, know they, they know it's killing them, but they said, it's just the impulse is just so great. I actually enjoy it, even, even if they're you know, going to die kind of thing. So you want them to, so all the external things is about denial and suppression and just sort of zonking you out, which never works. Whereas with this, you take out the old habit, but you show them how to regain control over those thoughts and fundamentally how to get the benefit or the reward or the pleasure they got from the smoking, but now in a healthier way. And that's the key to any dysfunctional behaviour. You know, know, they hang on to it because they get the pleasure rewards and the dopamine hit from it. Mm. You've got to get that dopamine hit in a different, better way from inside their mind. Yes. And so, yeah, what are the steps to empower patients who have anxiety, panic attacks and certain like issues, like going from like quite extreme, like what would be the first step? 
as in like if they're, if they're working with me, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the first thing is to identify not where they're at, but rather where they want to be. It's called mm -hmm. begin with the end in mind. Yes. Because your mind is like the GPS in the car. You put in where you want to go. You don't put in where you don't want to go. Right? So people say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to dive emphysema. I don't want to dive diabetes. No, no, no. You always say about what you want. So your mind must have a clear picture of how you want your life to be. It's just like the GPS in the car. The more mm -hmm. detailed that is, the better. Hear it, smell it, touch it, taste it, full colour. Got to have that picture. That's the first step to identify that. That gets you excited. That releases the happy hormones. Yeah. That gets the motivation thing happening. That's the first thing. And then it's about working with the scale, like because there's anxiety can go from just discomfort to anxiety to panic attacks. So we work with the scale from 1 to 10 on that. We line up the numbers with how that person is feeling. So number 10 is I'm about to die. Number five is, you know, I'm nice and comfortable. And then you've got uncomfortable, anxious and stressed, like in the middle there. So then you tie, you've got a, a rational number scale along with the emotion part. And then it's about teaching them to identify, okay, so how do you feel now in this moment? Oh, I feel anxious. What number is that? Number seven, for instance. And then, okay, that's a conscious thinking mind. Then you open the door to the unconscious mind and you ask the question, they ask the question, how do I get from here down to like a comfortable state? What if they're at number 10? What would... If they're at number 10, it's the same deal. So, okay, so if it's number 10, yep, recognise, yes, I'm at number 10. And then I've actually given you those notes and then we go through those, A, the breathing exercise thing first. Yeah. Okay, that's the first thing. So, because everything's such a panicky state. So the first thing is a breathing exercise. And this has been around literally for thousands of years. You know, any mindfulness, any Zen, any yoga thing, you know, we'll do, we'll do this. So the first thing is just all first, first um, responders is to get them to just start breathing. And then it, it brings the focus from external to internal because the panic thing is happening out there. So first thing I do is get them to breathe into five, then out for five, and we do five rounds. That requires 100% focus. They've got to say, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, and breathing in and out through their nose, and they're usually their mouth breathers, so there's a lot of focus happening there. So it's in for five, out for five. They've got a count on their hands, the five, so it's all focusing on this. The other hand's on their diaphragm down here, so they're focusing on that absolutely 100% internal. Five rounds of that. Then they ask themselves, okay, what number am I at now? They've always got to come down from there just by the pure physiology of what's occurred. Yeah. So they've come down a couple of numbers, maybe down to an eight type thing, okay? That's bringing them down. And then we go on to the next step, which is really tapping into their unconscious mind. Mm -hmm. And then when they're there, then it's about them asking, opening the door, okay, what do I do or say to get me from eight back down to feeling comfortable in myself, back down to a number five? And the answer to that is unique to every person and pretty much every situation, depending on what they're in. But the key is to ask out loud, because when you ask out loud, the question goes back through your ears into your unconscious mind. It says, oh, ask me a question. You know, it's like a bit like Google. It forages around in your memories and it does have the answers. And then because you've cleared away the clutter, the answer can pop back up into mm. your conscious mind without being suppressed. Okay. Okay. And then it could be, look, say it's someone at work. So work is a classic example, work in relationships. So say you're at work and you've been promoted to manager or whatever and you're feeling really, really stressed and the people for that shift hasn't, hasn't turned up. This happens more than once, you know, and that the newly appointed manager, right, he goes, he goes to number 10. So he does his breathing thing. That will bring him down a couple of points. And then he says, right, how do I handle this in a better way? And then the beauty is the answer's in here and it will just pop up. And for an example, one guy um, had, he said, oh, you know what? They promoted me, but I'm not comfortable being a manager. I want to go back to just being a storeman. 
Mm. So there's, like, there's the answer, black and white. Yeah. Black and white. Go back to being a storeman. And then once you've got the answer, then the thing is you must act upon it. That's the conscious mind part. It's no good just thinking it. You've got to act upon it. Yeah. So then, it, then the next morning he went to his manager and said, I don't want to be manager anymore. I want to go back to being storeman. And mm. then even when he made the decision, he went back from an eight back to a number six. Then in the morning when he got on the phone, he went back to a number five. And then after saying or doing whatever it is, you always ask, what number am I at? So if you're at number five or six, which is comfortable and comfortable with optimal performance, that's it. Then you come back to living in the now because the now is the only place we can be truly happy and fulfilled. Like we live our lives in eight second blocks. Which is a lot, but you know, that's kind of it. Eight second blocks, you're like your goldfish. That's about it. Many people get stuck either in the past, they ruminate about the past and they live in the past, or they worry about the future, which is the most destructive negative emotion you can possibly have. People think that by worrying, and COVID's been a classic example of this, worry, 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 because we're stuck inside, worry, worry, worry. I think that by worrying, it's going to improve things. It doesn't. It just makes your life and your body worse, mm-hmm. more unhealthy. Yeah. Um, and changing things, you know, especially with jobs and relationships, you know, people like they like to appear strong. And this guy said to me, I didn't want to let the team down. And it's about looking at it differently. It's like, well, hang on, you're not working at your best here. So you're actually dragging the team down by staying within the team. If you cut loose, that lets them employ someone else and you get to go over here and do this other great job, which you're really, really good at. And he said, I never looked at it that way. And that's it. We had this myopic view, conscious mind, got the job, got to do it, can't appear weak, just suck it up and get on with it. Leads wow. to disaster. Leads to disaster. A, such a powerful strategy. And it's really great how it empowers the individuals. Like they're, they don't like lean on you, but then they like ask themselves the question and mm. they use it for future things as well. And it seems very effective in a whole lot of different areas. So what? It is, like, it's, it's applicable to, to everything. And people say, mm. I need your help. And I go, no, you don't need my help. Because if you say you need my help, it means you're seeing yourself as helpless. I don't mm. see people as helpless. Yeah. It's like, you know, before you know how to drive a car, you're not helpless. You just don't know how to drive a car. Yes. So I'm like the driving instructor. I show you how to drive the car. You go out, you practice. And then how much you practice just depends on how great a driver you're going to be. You could be a Formula One driver if you want to or just, you know, driving around town each day, whatever you want. So to me, it's very much about empowering people by tapping into their unconscious mind. But in order to do that, you've got to clear away the clutter, all this chatter, chatter, chatter and distraction yeah. from, your, from your conscious mind. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's challenging because people are aware of their thoughts. They're aware of their conscious mind. But by definition, the unconscious is unconscious. You can't put it out there on the table. Yes. You know, and of course, all of this is backed up with um, hypnosis in there as well, too. So with my clients, I give them a whole series of self-hypnotic audios, take away to reinforce it because I explain it that, okay, you're doing this conscious stuff, changing your thoughts or whatever, be it it quitting smoking, be it weight loss, being coming from anxious down to calm. You're doing this conscious stuff. So that's working in the top 5%. So I call call that top down. Mm. They're actually thinking about it. They're okay with that. And then when they play these audios at night, that's bottom up. So that's working in that other 95% that I spoke about. It's literally working from your subconscious up to meet in the middle. That's why this is so effective type thing, okay? But clearly, if they're not doing these strategies during the day of controlling their thoughts, there's nothing to back up, (laughs) you know? So uh, it's a bit like learning how to drive a car. If you go for your lesson but you don't practice, there's no point in coming back for the next one type thing. And it's just like learning how to drive a car. The more you do it, like, 
the first time you get out of the garage, it takes you five minutes. You have to think about every step. That's the top down. But after you've done it a few times, it, it goes down to your unconscious mind, it becomes automatic. Mm. Where we don't have to think about it. Yeah. And Kerry, so you mentioned about smoking mm-hmm. patients and then what other types of patients can you empower? Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty much everything. <laughs> smoke, smokers something. are my core business. Weight loss is a huge one, becoming more and more. So it's split probably evenly between people who want to quit smoking, weight loss and people who feel anxious, stressed, mm-hmm. lack of self-worth. That's a very nebulous one. They're just yep. not happy in their lives somehow. Look, mm-hmm. it could be work, it could be relationships. Generally, they're stuck. You know, mm-hmm. they're in a rut and they don't know how to get out of it. Yes, okay. You know, type how, thing. how do you benefit patients who have dental anxiety? Yeah, like, so that's a phobia. Yeah. Or phobia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, phobias are big ones, and that's phobia. that can be about anything. Phobias of dentists is a fairly common one. Yes. <laughs> uh, so generally, that comes about because they've had a negative experience somewhere in the past, yeah. and, and that's it. And their mind goes, "This is how we train." Like, oh, had a negative experience, like it hurt like hell, or you know, when you pulled out the wrong tooth, whatever it might have been. And so your your mind learns from that, and it goes. I don't like pain. Let's avoid it. Let's not go to the dentist. And I've had people who haven't been to the dentist 5, 10, 20, 30 years, you know, because something horrible happened way back, you know, whenever, like, they got gassed or something or other or, you know, tooth bled, got infected, whatever it might be. And that comes about because their mind says, okay, that hurt last time. Let's just not go again. And and it reinforces it. Oh, well, we didn't go. Oh, I'm still alive. I feel good. My teeth are falling out, but that's okay. I'm still alive. So therefore they don't go. So eventually their teeth are falling out or whatever. And then they'll come to me, oh, you know, I've had this terrible fear of the dentist. And then basically I just work with them. They sit here, I put them like in a simulator thing. Okay, imagine imagine you're just going to ring up to make the appointment with the dentist. And just get us the same number thing. What number are you at? Number 10 for the dentist, right? Okay, so same thing, breathe. Let's do the breathing thing. Okay, and then, okay, and then it's tapping your unconscious mind. Okay. What can you do or say, and the words there are very specific, what can you do or say to bring you back to number five? And generally it's about learning a lesson from the past. You know what? When I went to see X 30, 40 years ago, dentistry was still fairly barbaric, but now but now they're incredibly well trained and, you know, whatever they do, it's, it's reasonably painless. You know, they're very clean and they've got all these kind of really great anaesthetics. And so as long as I choose a good dentist that I feel comfortable with, it's going to be okay. And it's also about recognising it's not normal or natural to have someone's, you know, fingers and hands in your mouth. There isn't going to be a degree of discomfort. So it's not going, oh, this is going to be the great experience ever. Mm. You know, like I can't say I jump up and down when I'm going to see my dentist. But I think, yeah, that's okay. It's just something else I do. It's like you take your car in for a service. Mm. That's it. And then they ask themselves whatever they've said, what number are you at now? If they're still up at a high number, it means they haven't tapped enough into their unconscious mind. So it's rinse and repeat. Go back. Ask the same question. Dig deeper. What is it that I, so it's empowering, do find a good dentist or say that was a negative experience in the past, but now this next one's going to be really good because I found myself a really good dentist, you know? And then you go around until you get back to number five. And I get to do that like every 30 minutes until mm-hmm. actually kind of go into the thing. What number are you at? What number are you at? The constant monitoring of how they're feeling. And if they're five or six, great. Get on with doing the dishes, cooking tea, washing tea or whatever. If it's anything higher from a 7 to a 10, we do the breathing thing. And the more you do it, the easier it is to get back. And then the what do I do or say. And again, 
the more you do it, the quicker you get at it, the easier it is until your mind just does it automatically without you having to go through that whole process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the whole thing. Like, and then when they're driving to the dentist, what number am I at? What number? When they're sitting there waiting, you know, you see sweat pouring off them. You know, what number am I at? So it's that constant thing. When you're in the chair, what number am I at? You know, so they're going mm-hmm. through that the entire time to keep them in that calm and comfortable state. Yes. Because like going to the dentist or anything, it can be heaven or hell depending on how we how we process it in our minds and what we tell ourselves. Yes. And also when you're in the room with the patient mm-hmm. who has the dental phobia, then I think you mentioned before, sometimes you get them to close their eyes and yes. they visualise yes. experiencing that. Yeah. So I, I call it the simulator. So it's like pilots. They don't just chuck them in a plane and say, you know, go through 500 people and hope you don't crash land kind of thing. You know, they do huge amounts of training, but part of their training is they put them in a simulator, a little mm. cubicle thing, you know, and they give them all sorts of disasters and, you know, they've got to try and get out of that. Mm. So that's basically what I do with people here. It's just a visualisation thing. So they'll be sitting in the chair, it's nice and comfortable, it's safe, I've got complete control over the situation, mm. get them to close their eyes and say, okay, so when you think about going to the dentist, you know, what, what number are you at? So you guide them step by step. So it's very controlled, very safe, you know, in how to do that, just like the simulator thing is you know and if they're not if they do crash land then okay we go back and we look at it okay so what do we learn from that what do we learn from that to do better next time but people often don't learn you know they'll they'll crash land but then they'll just keep if it's my open view i'll just keep doing what i always used to do and that is the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result and when you're doing that visualisation thing, which is, again, has been around forever, like caveman days, go back to stories before we had the written word, you know, paintings on caves, where it was all about stories by the, mm. by the fireside, you know, and kids love stories at night from mum and dad. It's all the same thing. So when we visualise these things, this is the other incredibly powerful thing. Your mind cannot tell the difference between what you imagine mm. and what is real. So you respond physiologically is that what you're imagining is actually happening like any amount of research shows this you know they do this a lot with athletes so you know if you're feeling if they're sitting there i'm going to the dentist oh i'm at number eight if we you know, wired that person up you would look at their, their their brains happening there and all of their fear centers would be firing off the heart rate would increase the fight or flight thing t- you know kicks in so there's a physiological thing happening there Hmm. So we use that imagination to get control of that and bring them back down to that nice, calm state. And part of that is a change in their brain structure, that's hmm. the neuroscience part, where, where, where we stop those old negative thoughts, you literally cut off the blood flow to those neural connections and synapses, so they will die off. Hmm. And then you redirect that blood flow and oxygen to a different part of the brain, and that creates new neural pathways, new synapses, which is what you want. They're the good habits, the good way of thinking. Yes. Incredible stuff. Yeah. And it's really come a long way in the last 10 years, Mm. absolutely in the last two years. So the simulator thing is great because then they they realise, oh, you know what, just by closing my eyes and doing this, I can actually control how I respond to be the dentist or or anything, or anything, getting married, moving house, changing jobs, going for an interview, you know, anything. Um, And a big thing while we're on the dental thing is I do see a lot of people with jaw grinding, teeth grinding. Yes. And they've been, and that's a sign of stress. Mm. Um, and they'll been to the dentist, and um, the dental thing is to put in, um, what do you call it? Like, um, yeah. Sorry, a um, mouth guard. Yes, mouth guard. Yep, exactly. Okay. 
that's okay, but it's, it's treating the symptom, not the problem. So the problem is the stress. That can come from anywhere. You know, it's usually yeah. long-standing by the time they get to that and will go back decades, go back decades. So that is a bit different. You've got to go back and find what's called the root cause, where this original stress came from. Yes. It's like, it's like a diseased tree. You can't just chop it off with the branches. or down. Yeah. You've got to dig it out from the roots. So, yeah. And it's not painful. You just go back to find out where, where it came from. And then that person will, I ask them, what's the lesson you need to learn from that? That will allow you to let go of all that negativity around that and feel a positive or neutral emotion instead. And that's an incredibly powerful question to ask. And that's usually when there's tears. And that's because all this stuff has been suppressed. Yes. And like, not uncommonly, it can be about, you know, child abuse or it'll be something that happened in that person's life generally, or this is general, before the age of seven. Okay. Wow. Okay. When they're very vulnerable, you know, and it's usually been something from some adult or someone said something, oh, Mary, you're really fat or what were you thinking when you put that on today? And it just stays in their mind Mm -hmm. and it will govern the rest or, you know, being told as a kid, you're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. Mm. That, That gets embedded as the seed and everything goes on from there. Mm -hmm. wow okay and how many sessions do you usually spend with your patients okay so for smoking smoking is all or nothing that's it there is no such thing as part-time social or any other thing kind of smoking smoking is a single session of 90 minutes it's full on i tell my clients it's like running a marathon in your mind take the day off you'll be exhausted by the time you finish this so that's a single session but on top of that they also get their notes and their audios to take away with them and they get two consolidation sessions over the next six months so it's not just a single session there, you've got the two consolidation sessions in those following six months where yeah. I follow up with them. And I liken it to when you buy a car, you don't just drive it into the ground, you mm. take it in for, for preventative maintenance at regular intervals. So that's the smoking thing. All of the others, be it weight loss, anxiety, phobias, they're a four-session program. Yes. First session being an hour and a half, you've got to do a lot of that first session. It's a double session. It's like you've got to clear out all the clutter from the hoarding house and start to rebuild. You can't leave it half done. So that's a double session. And the other sessions are an hour each. Generally about half an hour of talking, showing them the simulated thing, how to control their thoughts for half an hour. And then I will do half an hour of hypnosis with them. Mm. And then I send them away with their notes and their audio, their self-hypnotic audio to play in between our sessions to back up this whole new mindset. That they're creating. I have a beginning and end here, Marcus. I don't, I don't, oh, I'll just keep coming back every week for a year or something. I like beginnings and ends. That's that's mm. it. You know, there's no mucking around. This yeah. is where you're at. This is how we move forward. And some people like to go at a slower pace. Yeah. Um, and some people like to go at a quicker pace. So the pacing, you know, the, the timing can be a week apart or two weeks apart, depending on where that person's at and what they feel comfortable will mm. comfortable with. So yeah. strategy there but very flexible within that. Yeah, I really like your approach to treat the cause and to empower the patients because I know that there are a lot of patients who keep going back to the psychologist and then they become dependent on them. But then it's great how you can give them the tools to empower themselves to be what they can be. Yeah, to me it's about empowering. Yep, come to me, see you. I I want you in charge of the bus. I want you back out there in charge of your life, you know. It's Mm. not about being dependent upon me. I want you independent because i know the problem lies within your own mind therefore the answer lies within your mind not mine not anyone else's out there it's within you i'm simply giving the strategies and tools to clear away all the clutter over decades Mm. one thought at a time clear that out open the door your unconscious and live with that just like native cultures do and then 
then you live in the now. You're not stuck in the past. You're not thinking about the future. You live in the moment. Truly the joy and the fulfilment is in now. And you can only do that when all this clutter is cleared away. Mm, yes. And so in society today, there's a lot of avoidance of problems. There's a lot of anxiety, depression is on the rise and all these lifestyle diseases. So what can we do in the future to prevent all these things like getting worse? What do you think, which direction will society take us? And you what- know what? I actually have no idea. Yes. <laughs> I really have no idea. Yeah. Um, I consider myself an optimist, yes. but I am concerned about the future. I do not like the way that we are heading. It's all about external and more, more drugs and all that mm. kind of dependency thing. Yes. Just look around you. So I don't know. My, my thing is, look, I, I, I change people's lives literally one person at a time. You know, I don't do groups. Mm much to my accountant's dismay, um, I only ever work one-to-one because mm. this is incredibly tense. So to me, success is if I can change one person's mind mindset, that does have a ripple effect out to mm. X number of other people there now. And But I think the change has to come from the individual, like it's got to be from the bottom up, not the, not the top down. Yes. But I'll tell you one thing. People say it's all about knowledge and education. It isn't. It isn't. Mm. Having the knowledge of something or educating people about vices like smoking or weight or whatever, that doesn't change behaviour. Mm. Society focuses way too much on the idea of this education. Like, look at the Grim Reaper ads, you know. Smoking rates went up, not down. They were paid for by the tobacco companies. You know, they went up. It's not about that education thing. Knowledge by itself does not change people's habits or their behaviour. It's got to come from another place. Mm. So we're heading in massively the wrong direction, in my opinion. The answer is for the individual to take responsibility for themselves and recognise that the problem lies within them and therefore the answer does. And, and live a more holistic, natural, kind of native kind of life. If you look at natives of any culture, any Aboriginal society, they live in harmony with nature or whatever. We're too much 24-7 and to me it's just getting worse. Luckily I won't be around in about 30 years because I'm really old. But, you know, like the com- computers, electricity, every- everything's on. People have their phones by their beds. They're switched on all the time. There's no more... You work from sun up to sundown and then you sleep and tell stories kind of thing. You know, we've, we've lost all of that. So yeah. I don't know where society is going, but it's going to be further down the rabbit hole before we do turn things around. Well, it's really great to have you on the show today, Kerry, because I'm sure that, yeah, all the listeners will really benefit from all the tools and tips to empower themselves to overcome anxiety or if they've got friends or people they know with anxiety, depression, people who have bad habits smoking and I think it'll be really great to yeah share this with as many listeners as we can and to really empower the people and um, make them become who they want to become and right thanks for your time then Marcus really appreciate it thank you Kerry and so how can we get in touch with you um sure so you can either give us a ring on five double four double seven three zero six Yes. Um, mobile 04075366 or my website um, www.barnardmindsolution.com.au. Great. An email. Okay. Yes. Great. Okay. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you, Marcus. Enjoy your day. Thanks, Kerry. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed the show. For show notes and to keep up to date with the latest follow the health network podcast on facebook and instagram please consider leaving us a review 
and share if you know someone that could benefit from this. Let's unite health professionals and prevent health problems.